The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Okay, Psalm 5. To the chief musician with flutes, a Psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for to you I will pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face, for there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open tomb. They flatter with their tongue. Pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against you. But let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor you will surround him as with a shield. I was thinking about a certain political party. And yes. part of that psalm there. I mean, just Me destroy him, O oh Lord. Okay, Joshua 3, 1 through 13 today are our verses. Um, we're really starting into three or four chapters of what I think is amazing, amazing typology. You're not going to get it today. You're going to get it next week for this chapter. But I, I really am impressed with what is in chapters 3, 4, 5, and 6. And I typed 7 Monday. I was so tired I don't remember what I typed. But... Chapter 3. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove, and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you, in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here, and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. The structure of Joshua can be puzzling, and there are as many opinions on it as there are buttons on an elevator in a very tall building. I have presented and will continue to present what I think is a reasonable explanation for what is going on. In the first four chapters, it seems evident when looking at the big picture 
there is a command. Obedience to the command structure, which can be seen in the following verses. The command to begin, Joshua 1, 1 and 2. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. And then Joshua's obedience. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Now you insert the story of the spies in Rahav, which occurs prior to these events and which sets the narrative in motion, followed by a continuance of the narrative with these words. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. The command to part the waters and cross. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. And then there's Joshua's obedience. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. The command to set up a memorial that's coming in Joshua 4. And it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, Take for yourselves 12 men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them saying, Take for yourselves 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. And then is recorded Joshua's obedience. Then Joshua called the 12 men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. And each of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. And then the command to come up from the Jordan. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, Command the priests who bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. And then there's followed Joshua's obedience. Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come up from the Jordan. Our text verse comes from Psalm 119. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for your commandments. I will be frank, and every time that I read that, and I read the 119th Psalm, every 22 days I finish it, I read an octave every day, and every time I come to those words, I think of Charlie Garrett. The Word of God gives understanding to the simple. If he can teach me, he can teach you, because I don't know anybody more simple in the head than Charlie Garrett. I'm serious about that. Read the Bible. In the verses we looked at, Along with the command being given and Joshua obediently repeating it to the people, there is also a fulfillment of each command by the people. And so in each instance, there is the word of the Lord, then the word of the Lord is repeated by the leader, and then there are the steps taken in obedience to the directive. The point of this is to demonstrate that everything stated finds its fulfillment in the passage. There is intent in what is to be done, and there is the accomplishment of that intent. Mixed within what is said are several repetitions which get confusing unless the basic structure mentioned above is remembered. As long as it is, then there are no contradictions seen here. The reason why I'm saying this is because, for example, chapter 3, they go into the Jordan, the Jordan crosses, and then the people come out of the Jordan. And then it seems like it's repeating itself in chapter 4. They go into the Jordan, the people cross, and so... If you remember this structure, you will begin to understand what is going on, and you will see the typology, which is astonishing, okay? And so what is happening is an account is given. Its completion is recorded, and then details are provided or reprovided to fill in the blanks in the original account. This was seen in Genesis, such as when the overall narrative of creation was given in chapter 1. And then the details were filled in concerning the creation of man in chapter 2. 
in chapter one, it said on the sixth day, God created the male uh, humans or whatever, uh, male and female, he created them. Okay, that's, that's all it says. But chapter two fills in that information. Okay, it is seen in the book of Ruth, which you read today, which belongs within the chronology of the book of Judges. Here's the book of Judges and Ruth belongs somewhere in there. You're filling in information afterward. In Joshua, there is a chronology being given, but there is also a backing up and a filling in of that chronology. Remember this pattern when you read the Bible and when you see the bigger view followed by the more detailed view. It sure will help you to not feel like things are out of whack. They are not. We see movie directors do this all the time. They will show something at the beginning of the film, and then the rest of the film will build up to that event, which is actually the completion of the movie or very close to the completion of it. We think of this as an inventive way to tell a story to keep us anticipating what will happen. Well, the Lord did the same thing for us thousands of years ago. In the end, the promise of a deliverer that was found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the promise of a deliverer at the beginning will eventually be fully revealed. The details along the way help us to more fully understand that early promise. Great things such as this are to be found in his superior word. And so let us turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I have two thoughts for you today. The first is the way by which you must go. It's verses one through six. Verse one, then Joshua rose early in the morning. If you remember from chapter one, the timeline is rather difficult to pin down and be dogmatic about. But these words now appear to fit into the timeline of verses one, 10, and 11. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, pass through the camp and command the people saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. In other words, the spies were sent out first. They gathered their intelligence, and then they returned. From there, scholars argue as to whether the three-day period is from the movement to the Jordan or if it is after arrival at the Jordan. It is hard to be dogmatic either way. But assuming that it is from the movement to the Jordan, it would then be put at the time the spies gave their information. Then Joshua gets up and tells the people, okay, it's time to go to the Jordan. After the completion of that move, they are at the Jordan, and now the three-day interval has expired. The words within three days, literally in until three days, simply mean any part of three days. Joshua told the people to get up and move to the Jordan. In their move, they prepare provisions, move, and cross. This is all seen in the next words. Verse 1 continues, And they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan. If this is from the movement of the people, then this would read, And they had set out. It would be describing the movement of the three days. If the encampment is at the Jordan for three days, then and they set out would be correct. Again, I... Me, I am assuming it is from the beginning of the movement. Either way, though, the people were noted as being at the Shittim, or the Acacia Grove, in Numbers 25, verse 1. It is also the last stop in the wanderings of Israel recorded in the Exodus from Egypt in Numbers 33. Here's what it said there. They camped by the Jordan from Beth Jeshemot as far as the Abel Acacia Grove in the plains of Moab. It is at this location that they have remained and where the law was completed as given through Moses. The name of this place was again stated in Joshua 2.1. It is from here that they will pick up and head to Hayarden, or the Jordan, meaning the descender. From the Acacia Grove to the Jordan is seen the last movement and stop of the exodus from Egypt. This movement is inclusive of, verse 1 continues, he and all the children of Israel. The entire congregation of Israel is included. This means Joshua, the men of war, the women, children, and so on. The only ones to not cross over would be those who had already received their inheritance east of Jordan and who would start their lives in that place. But the men of war from those tribes are included in this crossing over now. 
with this recorded, it next says, verse 1 continues, and lodged there before they crossed over. The word lodged, lun, signifies to pass the night, dwell, abide, and so on. Hence, it is why I would assume the three days is inclusive of the move and not three days lodging at the shore of the Jordan. Others disagree as the word can mean a longer time of lodging. It is hard to be dogmatic. Either way, though, verse 2, so it was after three days. It does not say after three days, but rather vehi mixesh loshet yamim, and from end, three days. Therefore, this would be the third day. It is at this time, verse 2 continues, that the officers went through the camp. The people encamped at the Jordan are now to be instructed by the officers on the protocol to be followed as they cross through the Jordan. The instructions from the officers here are not the same as those given previously. As such, this is not at the beginning of the march from the Acacia Grove, but at the encampment near the river. The specific instructions for moving from here are seen next. Verse 3, and they commanded the people saying, when you see, rather than when you see, it reads more precisely, according to your seeing. It's not when they see the ark that they get up and start following it. Rather, it is according to their seeing it. The details of that are still ahead, but they have limitations set upon them about exactly when they can respond. Verse 3 continues, the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God. Aron berit Yehovah Elohechem. Ark covenant Yehovah your God. The word ark signifies a hollow box. It is used to describe Joseph's coffin in Genesis 50 verse 26. The symbolism is that of Christ being the embodiment and the fulfillment of the law. That has already been seen quite clearly in the instructions for and construction of it in the book of Exodus. It is known by various names, the Ark, the Ark of the Witness, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, the Ark of God, and so on. In this case, the term used gives us clear insight into the work of Jesus Christ. If we define it as a coffin, just simply think of Christ dying, that can be seen. Ark, Coffin, Covenant of Jehovah your God. Along with the ark, there are those who bear it, as it says, verse 3 continues, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it. The term, the priests, the Levites, is another way of saying the priests who are also of the tribe of Levi. The priests who are of Levi were to bear the ark as is stated in Deuteronomy 31, verse 9. It is according to the people seeing the ark being born by the Levitical priests that, Verse 3 continues, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. The ark is to go first. The people will see the ark at a set distance, and only then were they to arise from the place they lodged and go after it. That set distance is next explained. Verse 4, yet there shall be a space between you and it. Ach rahok yiye benechem ubeno. Surely, distance, there shall be interval you, plural, all of you, and interval it. There is to remain a marked separation between the ark and the people. This is to be, verse 4 continues, about 2,000 cubits by measure. The wording is more precise. According to 2,000 cubits in the measure. This is about 3,000 feet, or maybe about three-quarters of a mile. It is what is known as a Sabbath day journey in Acts 1 verse 12, which is based on this passage now. That is the distance a person could walk on the Sabbath without it being considered a violation of that day. There are various suggestions as to the reason for this. The first is explicitly stated in the next words. Verse 4 continues, Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go. No do come near it to end purpose, which you may know the way which you go in. The main reason is that in seeing the ark, the people would know where they could pass through the river. The people would need to know when the ark arrived at the Jordan. By being distanced from the ark, it would be more visible to all people. 
If the distance were less, it would be crowded out of sight. The arc is both showing the way and making the way at the same time. As such, the people would want to cross downriver from the ark. The ark is first where the waters first ceased. The people follow after that on dry ground while the waters had continued down to the salt sea. As such, the unguarded ark would be considered the van or the leader for all others protecting them. In seeing where the ark was located, the people could look and know they will be safe from these waters. As long as the ark remained there, the multitudes could continue to pass through the Jordan and they would know the way, not being on the wrong side of it. These were needed, verse 4 continues, for you have not passed this way before. The Hebrew bears an idiom, Kilo abartem patarek mitmo shilshom, for know you have passed in the way from yesterday, day before yesterday. It is a way of saying this is not something you have done before. The intent of the words is, there is one way. As you have never taken it before, you are given the opportunity without fear of getting lost. Verse 5, And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. The meaning here cannot be the same as in Exodus 19, where the people were to sanctify themselves for three days, wash their clothes, and refrain from going near their wives. None of that is stated and there would not have been time for such external purifications. Rather, what this means, or what it appears to mean, is that the people were to prepare themselves mentally, turn their hearts to the Lord, demonstrate faith in His promises, and things like that. Without a right heart attitude, the external rites that came at the giving of the law were ineffective in changing the people. Joshua is instructing them to sanctify themselves in a manner that will be effective. Verse 6, then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. Joshua is typical of Christ, the leader of the people. The Ark is typical of Christ, the embodiment of the law. The priests are typical of Christ as the one who fulfilled the sacrificial and priestly functions of the law which the priests perform. And also, as we have seen, the Jordan is typical of Christ, the descender. Each aspect of what is occurring finds its ultimate fulfillment in him. As instructed by Joshua, so the priests comply. Verse 6 continues, so they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Christ is the one who goes before his people, pictured by their going before them now. With this understood, we now come to the next section where the Lord will speak to Joshua. Sanctify yourselves before the Lord. Prepare your heart and he will receive you. Believe what is recorded in his word. Accept the gospel is what you must do. Christ led the way so that we could then pass through. In going first, he accomplished all things for us. And now God asks us to simply believe that this is true. Yes, God has done it all in the giving of Jesus. And so let us fix our eyes on Jesus our Lord and let us follow him, the one who has paved the way. He is the only path back to God according to his word. Let us follow him in faith, not waiting another day. Our second thought today, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. It's verses 7 through 13. Verse 7, And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel. The words now are given to provide Joshua with the assurance that he will, in fact, be considered the acceptable leader of the people. That has already been acknowledged, but it will be confirmed in their sight, literally in their eyes, now. The promise now is explicitly stated as realized towards the end of chapter 4. Here's what it says. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. This is the purpose. The Lord is exalting Joshua, the leader of his people. Verse 7 continues, that they may know. The words bear a strong emphasis, asher yedeun, that they may certainly know. There will be no doubt in the minds of the people. Verse 7 continues, that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Just as certain as they had become that the Lord was with Moses, so they would be assured that he was also with Joshua. There would be no need for them to second-guess the matter, and there would be no attempts to usurp his authority as they had at first tried with Moses. The words of John come to mind here. 
Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. Israel rejected Jesus, and this continues today. Someday they will see in Joshua the type of which Christ is the antitype. It is he who alone can lead them into the inheritance. They will be as certain about him, meaning Jesus, as they are that Moses was their lawgiver. But Moses and the law could not bring them in. Only in the death of the law, typified by Moses' death, can this come about. Charles Ellicott correctly notes the following. It is here stated that the passage of Jordan was to be to Joshua what the giving of the law at Sinai was to Moses, that the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. That's Exodus 19.9. But the power which establishes Joshua is the work of the written instead of the spoken word. In both spoken word and in written word, it is the word of the Lord that was given to convince Israel. It is the ending of the law through Christ's work, accompanied by the introduction of the new covenant that establishes Jesus as the true leader of Israel. But that is now only to be found in the written word. The law itself testifies to the person and work of Christ, and it will take Israel accepting this fact for them to accept Christ as their leader. Until the blinders are taken off and they look to the New Testament to understand the old, this will not take place. For now, the typology is quite clear for those who accept that these types are fulfilled in Jesus. Verse 8, you shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, the words are emphatic, and you, you shall command the priests. The Lord is affirming Joshua's responsibility to command the priests. Assuming that the narrative is chronological here, the priests are already bearing the Ark. Now that this is the case, and now that they are prepared to move forward, he will command them in the hearing of the people for the priests to do as they are now instructed. As such, it is the Lord who will accomplish the miracle. It is Joshua who has been given the authority to direct that it will occur. And it is the priests who are to be obedient to the authority of Joshua to accomplish the task by performing the given order. The priests bearing the ark are the material cause. Their entry into the Jordan is what makes the thing, like wood in a table, to be. The formal cause, the design, is the parting of the Jordan. The efficient cause, what brings it about, is the Lord's presence working on behalf of Joshua. And the final cause, the purpose, is the exaltation of Joshua in the eyes of the people. This continues to be seen in the next words. Verse 8 continues. When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. The words are very precise here. According to your coming, even to the extremity waters the Jordan, in the Jordan, you shall stand. Verse 15 will clarify what this means. You have to wait till next week to get that. I'm sorry, but you will get it if you show up. There it says that the Jordan overflows all its banks at this time. And so the meaning is that where the water is overflowing the Jordan, they are to step into that water and the water will cease. What happens from that point is debated based on the words in the midst, which is found in verse 17. How one explains those words will define how other verses are to be interpreted and translated. For now, the Lord is behind the command. He is simply conveying the words to Joshua, who is to then follow through with the giving of the command to the priests. It is impossible to not see the words of Jesus when the connection is made. Here's what it says in John 12. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command what I should say, and what I should speak. Keep thinking of Joshua here. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. If one understands the nature of God working through Christ Jesus, it becomes clear what is going on. The goal is Canaan, typical of restoration with God. Joshua receives the command to then speak out what he has been told to say. Likewise, Jesus gives the command, and the people are to hear and to honor the Son. 
In so doing, they honor the father. This is seen quite clearly in the next verses. Verse 9, so Joshua said to the children of Israel, come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. The address is certainly to the leaders of the tribes who then represent all of the people. It is unlikely that this is a general calling for any and all to gather around him due to the immense size of the population. Assuming it is to the leaders, which appears even more likely based on verse 12, they would then pass the words on to all of the people. Until this point, they had no idea how they were to cross through the Jordan. But hearing the Lord's command through him to the priests and knowing that it is the Lord who will accomplish this miracle, Joshua can also convey to them more of what to expect. Without being apprised of the stopping of the waters in advance, his coming words would be motivational, but maybe not fully accepted. But by knowing that the Lord directed the first thing, they will know without any doubt at all, that he will perform his words in what is next conveyed. Verse 10, and Joshua said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you. Joshua confirms that it is the act of the ark going before them and the waters being stopped up by which the people will know that El Chai, a living God, is among them. The term is similar to Deuteronomy 5.26, which says Elohim Chaim, which is more rightly translated as the living God. The Lord's presence did not leave them when Moses died. He remains even though the succession of authority now continues on with Joshua. They are to be confident of that. And because of this fact, the next words will surely come to pass. Verse 10 continues, and that he will, without fail, drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. In this verse, the names are all in the singular, the Canaanite and the Hittite and so on. Each group is being contrasted to Israel. Each has gods that are dead. Israel has El Chai, a living God among them. Understanding the symbolism of the ark representing Christ, it is a clear and unambiguous reference to his deity. The stopping of the Jordan is how the people were to know that a living God is among them and that his words concerning the enemies would be performed. With this said, Joshua continues, verse 11, behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Hine, Aron Haberit Adon Kal Haaretz Over Lifnechem Bayarden. Behold, Ark the Covenant Lord, all the earth crosses over before you in the Jordan. Joshua is tying the Lord of all the earth to the presence of the Ark as if they are one united entity. This is seen more clearly in the punctuation of the word covenant in the Masoretic text. In it, there is a distinguishing accent that calls for the translation to say either the Ark of the Covenant, even the Lord of all the earth, or you could say the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Lord of all the earth. Because of this, it is saying that his presence is in the Ark. It then provides a marvelous picture of the dual nature of Jesus Christ, the God-man. In what Joshua is saying, he is noting that this Lord is the Lord not just where he is at, as if he is the Lord of Israel while on this side of the Jordan, and he will be the Lord of Israel while on the other side of the Jordan, but that he is the Lord of all the earth at all times. Just because his presence is there with the ark, it doesn't mean he isn't also in control of all things. On the contrary, he is. This is well reflected in the words of Hebrews, where the author ties Jesus in with his preeminence over all of creation. Here's what it says. But to the Son, he says, and then going down a couple verses in the text, and you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they will all grow old like a garment. Like a cloak, you will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. For now, Joshua has particular instructions to convey to these leaders of the people. Verse 12, Now therefore, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, 
12 men were to be selected from the tribes of Israel for a special task. However, more specificity is next given. Verse 12 continues, one man from every tribe. Ishechad, Ishechad, Lashavet. Man one, man one to the tribe. Each tribe was to be represented in what will be instructed. Thus, they are representative of all Israel. Their assignment will be detailed in chapter 4. For now, verse 13, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests. The clauses are much differently aligned in the Hebrew, but we'll work through it. For now, and it has happened according to the resting soles, feet, the priests. In other words, there's no need for the priests to fear that they may be swept down the river and taken all the way downstream. Literally, as soon as the soles of their feet rest, the event will commence. It is the priests, verse 13 continues, who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. Two different words for Lord are used. It says, who bear the ark of the Lord, Yehovah, is the first word, Lord Adon of all the earth. It is an expansion of what is said in verse 11, ark the covenant, even Lord all the earth. One can see that Joshua is tying the ark of the covenant in with Yehovah. Well, at the same time, he is saying that Yehovah is the Lord of all the earth. It is an anticipation of the incarnation where the physical is merged with the spiritual. Next, the first words belong to the earlier clause where the soles of the feet of the priests, verse 13 continues, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. Yarden, in waters the Jordan. Water symbolizes life. The Jordan is the descender. When the soles of the feet of the priests rest in the waters of the Jordan, verse 13 continues, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. Again, as in verse 7, there is a heavy stress in the words, waters the Jordan shall certainly be cut off. The word translated as cut off, karat, is one often used in the cutting of a covenant. When the soles of the feet of the priests rest in the waters of the descender, the waters will be cut off. They are, verse 13 continues, the waters that come down from upstream. A verb is being used in the place of a noun here. Hamayim hayordim milma'ela. The waters, the descenders, from to above. It is very precise in what is being conveyed. The waters, the descenders, from above will be cut off the moment that the soles of the feet of the priests rest in the waters of the descender. They will no longer flow as they previously did. Verse 13 finishes with, And they shall stand as a heap. And they shall stand. Heap one. Joshua is conveying that this will happen before it occurs. Because of this, it is what is intended to magnify Joshua in the eyes of the people. He conveys the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord from him is confirmed when it comes to pass, and thus Joshua is exalted in the eyes of the people. Here we must finish as there's too much in the chapter to go through for one sermon. I'm sorry, we'd be here for another hour and a half. The final four verses will come with an explanation of what the chapter is conveying to us. For now, we can remember the beginning of the sermon and feel confident that what is being conveyed is both reasonable and non-contradictory. There is much repetition and overlap in what is said, but that is how the early historical writings were given. And even without evaluating the verses today, in detail as far as typology is concerned, we have seen enough to know that everything here is conveying information about Jesus. That is certain. As this is so, it is telling us another part of the ongoing redemptive narrative all of which is intended to convey to us what God is doing in Jesus Christ. If you don't remember another thing about our words today, just remember this. Jesus. It is all about Jesus. We were talking about this, I think, on Thursday night. I give these sermons and I give 15,000 points and you can't remember them all, okay? Sometimes you might remember one or two things from a sermon that somebody gives you on Sunday morning. He says, oh, God's going to make you happy. He's going to bless you and you're going to have prosperity and all that. And you're going to remember two of the hour-long talk that he stands there and he talks. I want you to remember two things that are from the Bible. That's what I want you to remember. 
But the main thing that I want above all else is that this word is about Jesus Christ. And so before we close, let me tell you how you can have a close and personal relationship with God because of what Jesus has done, much of which is actually typologically seen right here in today's verses. And you'll find out about that next week. Jesus Christ came from heaven. He is the descender. We've seen that already in typology in a couple of the earlier sermons. He came from heaven. He came to earth. God united with his physical creation in the womb of a virgin named Mary. This is the the hypostatic union, the God-man. He's fully God. He's fully human being. He is here on a mission to remove the sin that separates us from our heavenly father. That is what he came to do. Every one of us has sin. We all will be separated eternally from an infinitely holy God because he cannot have sin in his presence. But he resolved the dilemma by himself coming and uniting with human flesh. Okay? God did not die on the cross of Calvary. Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary. God never stopped being God. We need to make sure we get our things right here, our theology proper. Okay? Jesus Christ paid, the human Jesus paid the sin debt for what you have done and what I have done and what I continue to do day after day. We were in the projects yesterday and Rick came down from Indianapolis and he showed up at the projects and he said, while we were out there, he said, thank you, Jesus. We sin a thousand times a day and you just cover it all over. And this is a guy that loves the Lord. And he admits that he sins continuously, day in and day out. People that don't think they do are just fooling themselves. We're so corrupt, we don't even know the corruption that's in our minds and in our hearts. And that's all covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. He is willing to forgive us of our sins if we will do one simple thing. Have faith. Have faith that he died for your sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again, according to scriptures. If you can believe that, that God would do this for you, the Bible says you will be saved. So please accept the premise Give your life to Christ and then live for him. That's what he would ask you to do. Okay? Our closing verse comes from Psalm 24. It's verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. This is the God that was willing to do this for us. Next week, Joshua 3, 14 through 17. They will not have to paddle like Fido or Rover, but get across, they will do. It's entitled, And the People Crossed Over. Thank you, Jay. That'll be your sixth Joshua sermon. Okay. (laughs) The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It is he who has defeated the enemy and who now offers his people rest. So follow him and trust him. And he will do marvelous things for you and through you, okay? All right. I have something for you if you can answer this question. Somebody will, I'm certain that somebody is bound to get this, okay? In Lamentations 4, verse 9, it says, Those slain by the sword are better off than who? The survivors. Well, obviously. But what type of survivors? <laughs> No, not what type of survivors? Nobody? Okay, I thought somebody would get this. Shocking. Those who die of hunger. Those who are slain by the sword are better off than those who die of hunger. And that is true. Okay, so I am going to leave this on the pulpit. Jody will be back next week. She's a pretty smart little cookie. Maybe she'll get one of these. Okay, all right. Or maybe you guys will read your Bible just day and night, all week. I'm just picking on you. I know you do. Next week. What? Memorize. Memorize. I couldn't memorize this book if I spent eternity. I I think I've got something figured out, and then I read a cut. You know what? I'll tell you what happened. I sent it to uh, Sergio and Rhoda yesterday when they were driving back from Jacksonville, and I kept saying, did you listen? Did you listen? And he's playing on his computer in the car. She's listening to this. Now, listen, if you go to the 22nd Psalm, this has always been a big dilemma. It says uh, in the 22nd Psalm, they pierced my hands and my feet. Okay. Well, there is a variant reading, like one letter different. It says, like a lion, 
my hands and my feet. And that's what the Masoretic text says. Now, the Masoretic text is way after Jesus' time. I think it dates to 1034 AD. Okay? There are things in the Masoretic text which the Jews have purposefully obscured by changing a letter or two to hide Jesus. It's so obvious that it's speaking of Jesus that they, they changed it from they pierced my hands and my feet to um, like a lion, my hands and my feet. Now, there's really no way of going back and figuring out what is the original reading. Sergio went to the Dead Sea Scrolls and it was burned off. I mean, the, right where he needed to see it. It's, so, in other words, God has left this for us, but I've shown you chiasms and I've shown you parallelisms and all kinds of patterns. Somebody showed a pattern. Uh, the Brent that was here uh, a couple weeks ago from Texas, okay, he preaches out in Texas at the uh, um, uh, Cowboy Church in Henrietta, Texas. He sent me a video and he says, I found this video with this, this type of pattern which will explain the passage. And in there, you have different verses. This verse says, um, uh, strong bulls of Bashan surround me, okay? And then there is a, a passage which asks a question, and there is an, a passage which answers the question, okay? I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but what I will do is I'll take you there very quickly. And in the psalm itself, it tells you what the answer to this age-old question is. Which is correct and why? How do you know that the Jews obscured it? And it says here, for example, um, uh, let me see if I can find one. I'm a worm and no man, reproached. Uh, okay, all those who see me uh, ridicule me. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head. He trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Okay, and then it says, um, uh, verse 12, many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. Okay, so if you go down later in the text, it'll bring up the fulfillment of that. It'll say a premise, and then it'll say, strong bulls of Bashan, where is it? Um, they have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. And then it gives the same entity, the strong bulls, and blah, 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 later in the psalm. It explains it. And then it goes down a little farther. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. And then there's dogs, and there's, there's these fulfillments within the psalm. And then it comes to, they pierced my hands and my feet. And if you go down there, it says, where is it? It says, um, i got to see if I can find this. Um, where is it? I, I'm looking for the word right now. There is no fulfillment of lion, like a lion, my hands and my feet. But there is a fulfillment in the word sword. What does a sword do? It pierces. Everything has its mate in this psalm and not the lion. There's no mate to lion, but there is a mate to they have pierced. And therefore, you know, without any doubt at all, when somebody found this pattern, that the true reading is they have pierced my hands and my feet and that the Jews have gone in and obscured that passage. It was known anyway, but there was no way to prove it until somebody realized the pattern that is being developed in this psalm. That's how intricate the Bible is. When he said, memorize it for next week, that'll never happen, okay? There is so much in this word. People are finding these patterns thousands of years later, okay? Like the chiasm we found a week or so ago, not been released before, and all of a sudden, there it is when you're typing a sermon on Joshua chapter 2, okay? The word is wonderful. Never underestimate this beautiful word. Okay, I'm sorry nobody got this. Shocking. Shocking. I really thought somebody would get that. Okay. And the people crossed over part one. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, the sun like a flame, and they set out from Acacia Grove and to the Jordan they came. He and all the children of Israel, and before they crossed over, they lodged there. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp with news to share. And they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, so to you we submit and the priests, the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Now you know the score. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves. This is what you are to do, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, take up the ark of the covenant and cross over before the people, so I instruct you. 
So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people as instructed to. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Yes, so to you I tell. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So to you I am relaying. So Joshua said to the children of Israel with a commanding nod, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites too. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan, he of infinite worth. Now, therefore, take for yourselves 12 men, as I describe, from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe. And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, of the Lord of all the earth, so I say, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. It shall be that way. The waters that come down from upstream, so I convey, and they stand as a heap. It shall surely be this way. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true, and we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you. To us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. I was going to pray, but I'm not going to pray. I'm going to do take us to communion, and then we'll pray with Sergio up here. It's a man with a job to do. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for your precious, wonderful word. Thank you for things like the 22nd Psalm that actually confirms that we have a sure word and that it, it is known to us and that we can know what it says. There's no doubt about it. And so help open the eyes of the Jewish people that have been led astray all these many, many, many centuries because of the leaders of their people hiding the truth of Jesus Christ. Yes, Lord God, open more eyes every day to this wonderful truth. And we thank you for the chance to come into your presence and to share in the uh, Lord's Supper. And Lord, we love you. We thank you for what it means in our lives and what it signifies. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.